0: Lord, I pray you'd help me to say the things that, I, that need to be said, and that you would uh, use this chapter and use this uh, message to, to help us, encourage us. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, what we read there is a pro- pretty lengthy chapter, Genesis 24. And um, we, we read through the entire chapter, and uh, you see there, it's the story of how uh, Rebekah became Isaac's uh, wife. It's very interesting, uh, just certain things that happen in this story. Just look down at verse number 1, the Bible says, "...And Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things." Isn't that a good thing? Don't you, don't you want that? You know, to be able to say that God has blessed uh, you in all things. You know, that's what I want, that's what I need. But in verse 2, the Bible says, "...And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled all over that he had." Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Now, Abraham is going to take a, uh, a vow from this man. And, you know, the, they, they did things a little different in the Bible times than we do today. Today we might just, you know, shake hands. You know, you shake hands with somebody and you... And you, you, uh, you have a deal done or something, but Abraham, you know, he hasn't put his hand under his thigh, you know, that might be a little weird in our culture, and and, you know, exactly what that means, I don't know, I mean, you could read different books, and you know, I've heard that maybe it has something to do with the fact that the thigh is uh, one of the uh, biggest muscles on your body, and and he was swearing, you know, uh, by the thigh there, by saying, you know, with all my strength, I'm going to attempt to accomplish uh, this task that you've given me, I know that makes sense to me, I don't know. But he said, you know, uh, in verse 2 it says, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand over my thigh. And look at verse 3, He says, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not, look what it says, Thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. You know, as we, as we deal with this subject and we're seeing here, uh, really the relationship develop of two individuals. Um, uh, Abraham is searching uh, for a wife for his young son Isaac. Isaac, and he sends uh, his servant out into uh, back to their home country, back to their kindred. And he said, I want you to find a wife for my son. But he said, I want you to swear to me that you are not going to find a wife for my son from these Canaanites, from the daughters of the Canaanites. He says, from these, the, the heathen that we live around. God has called us out into this country, but we live around these heathen. We live around these Canaanites. And he said, I don't want you to bring a, a, a wife to my son from these heathen. I want you to bring one from my family. You know, and that's a great illustration today of, of how, you know, uh, a Christian ought to date. Let me give you uh, uh, some example. Go, we'll go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Keep your finger or something in Genesis 24 because we're obviously going to be coming back to it. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 6 and verse 14. Let me get there myself. Second Corinthians chapter six, and verse fourteen. Look at what the Bible says. This, you know, this, this ought to be a Christian's motto in regards to dating. You know, uh, in Second Corinthians fourteen, six fourteen, the Bible says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." And by the way, this doesn't just apply to dating and marriage, it applies to, to anything, you know, but you can apply this principle to, to marriage for sure, but you can also apply it to business or different things. He says, the Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked. You know, the idea there of, of, of yoking up, it's like yoking up two oxen. You know, and what they would do in those days and still do now, they would take those oxen, they would yoke them up together and then that way they, they would kind of be stuck together and then as they would plow the field, those oxen would be working together side by side. And the idea there was that as, well, as they were pulling together in their strength, they were accomplishing more. But if one began to get tired or began to uh, get weak or maybe be, uh, slipped a little bit, the other one would kind of take, take on that extra strength and kind of pull them along, you know, and they, and they would work together as a team. And that's really what marriage is about. That's what, you know, by the way, dating, the purpose of dating is to get married. You know, I don't believe that you ought to be dating unless you're getting unless you're ready to be married. That's why thirteen-year-olds don't have any. Uh, there's no reason for them to be dating because the thirteen-year-olds not ready to get married. You know, but. Uh, uh, he, the idea there is of, of not being unequally yoked because, you know, when you're, when you're in marriage or even as a business venture with a partner, you know, you're, you're pulling together and you're pulling in straight. But the problem is, if you're married and, and one of you is pulling one way towards Christianity, towards the things of God, but then another one who's an unbeliever may be pulling another way, you're going to have issues there. And in Second Corinthians 6.14, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God does not want us, a believer in Jesus Christ, to be yoked up with an unbeliever. And look what it says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? That Belial there is referring to to the devil. He says, Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So you see there, you go back to Genesis 24, you see there the reason Abraham in his wisdom was telling uh, his servant there, he's saying, don't bring a wife to my son from these heathen Canaanites because I don't want him unequally yoked up with an unbeliever he said I want him to be yoked up with someone who's going to believe in the same God that we believe in who's going to be a Christian let me tell you something you know uh, if you're ever giving somebody advice in regards to dating and marriage the biggest piece of advice is this don't date and don't marry someone who's not a Christian you know a Christian ought to marry a Christian A Christian on a date a Christian. And and don't fall into this trap. Because uh, so many people, you know, uh, I've heard of so many people doing this. And people fall into this trap where they're going to date an unbeliever in in the hope of getting them saved. You know, you already started wrong. You know, um, and sometimes people even uh, read my testimony or heard my testimony and try to use my testimony or similar testimony. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I, I led my wife to the Lord. When, when my wife and I were teenagers, we met at Subway and she was an atheist when I met her. And I gave her the gospel and she got saved and we ended up getting married. But you know what, let me tell you something. Before, you know, she was not an option when, when she wasn't saved. And, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not like I went and got her saved so that I could marry her. When I got her saved, she... That was the farthest thing away from my mind was marriage, okay? I was getting her saved just because I wanted to get somebody saved. You know, she was just a co-worker. She was just a friend. And then after she got saved, and after she started coming to church, and after she started reading her Bible, and after she started soul winning, and then that became an option of someone that could be married. And that's how it ought to work. But these kids, you know, they get this idea. They, they see someone like me do it. Or I've got a real good friend, Pastor uh, Steve Anderson, who kind of had a similar testimony. He got his wife saved. And, and, and they'll see that. And I've known people who take that testimony. And then they think that that somehow that means you can go date some unbeliever, you know. The difference was that we didn't date until after she was saved, you know. And, and it wasn't like I was trying to get her. I mean, that's just a bad, you know. You gotta not be out soul winning. Uh, because you have interest in dating someone. You know what I mean? You've got to be out soul winning because you don't want somebody to die and go to hell. But there's a, a, there's a principle there. and We've got to learn that. We've got to teach that to our kids. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, and Abraham was had some wisdom there when he was saying, you know, don't choose a heathen for my son. Go find someone who is going to believe on the Lord. He said, Abraham sent said a servant. Uh, look at verse 4. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou, uh, thou, thou bringest not my son hither again. And we're going to be coming back to uh, verse 5 and 6, so keep that in mind there. But in verse 7, he said, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that square unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from uh, thence. Now, I want, to, I want to explain a few things to you. And, and really, the best way for you to understand this, that, that, I believe this, this chapter is a perfect illustration of uh, the Great Commission. Explain that to you as we go through chapter, maybe it'll become a little more clear to you. But in chapter number two, we find Abraham. Now, Abraham in this story, I believe, represents God the Father. And then we've got in verse five we find this servant. And this servant, I believe, in this story, is a great illustration of a soul winner. And you have God the Father sending the servant out into the world. To bring back a bride for his son. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? That's the Great Commission. That's what God the Father has commissioned us, His servants, out into the world to find a bride for His Son. And in verse number uh, 7, we find another character in this illustration. He says, And the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying unto thy seed will I give this land. Look what he says. He... Abraham is talking to the servant, and he said, My father, you know, my, the Lord, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from them. So Abraham told, uh, you know, who represents God the Father, told the servant, who represents the soul winner, that God was going to send an angel before him. To prepare the way to make sure he finds the right wife for his son. Who who's that angel represent? The Holy Spirit. You know, as we go out sowing, we often pray that God would send the Holy Spirit before us. And begin to touch the people's hearts. That we're going to knock on their doors and begin to, to, to convince them of sin. And, and prepare their hearts that we might be able to get them saved. And in this story, God sent an angel before the servant to prepare the way. To make sure that, that, uh, that the servant was at the right place. And that the sinner was at the right place place so that that sinner could be back, brought back to the son. But look at verse 8, it says, and if the woman, because remember the servant said, well what if she doesn't want to come back? Should I bring your son to her? And he said, no, I don't want you to bring my son. He said, my son belongs here. But in verse 8 he says, and if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son hither again. So he makes it clear. He says, do not take my son to her. If you find her and she doesn't want to come here, then you're clear from the oath. Then you don't owe me anything. Now, keep your finger there in Genesis 24. We're going to be coming back to it. But go with me to Ezekiel chapter number 33. Ezekiel 33. In the Old Testament, you've got three major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Then you've got a small book, Lamentation. And then you've got Ezekiel. Those are the big, three big prophets. Um, prophets in the Old Testament. Go over to Ezekiel chapter number 33 and look at verse number 1. Ezekiel chapter number 33 and verse number 1, God gives a great illustration in Ezekiel 33. The Bible says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, he says, son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon a land, that's an illustration of an army, he says, when I bring a sword or an army upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchmen. So he said, You know, if the people, they take a man and they, they put him on the wall, and he's the watchman, he's, he's watching out for the people. It says, If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Are you following the illustration? He said, you you set a watchman on the wall. They watch. If they see the sword coming, if they see an army coming, and he warns the people, and he blows the trumpet, and the people don't listen to the warning, they don't take heed to the trumpet, and they die, he says, their blood shall be upon their own head. But look at verse 5. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and he took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. So he says, look, if he hears the warning, but he doesn't do anything about it, then it's his own fault. But the person that does take heed to the warning, they shall deliver their soul. Look at verse 6. But if the watchmen see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand isn't that an interesting illustration he says if the army is coming to destroy the city and the watchman warns the people and they don't listen then it's therefore if they die if they do listen then they can deliver their soul but he says if the watchman sees the army coming and he refuses to warn the people he refuses to blow the trumpet then those people look what he said at the end of uh, verse chapter, uh, chapter uh, verse 6 he says he is taken away in his iniquity you know what that means he says the person who died deserved to die their sin caused that sword to come they deserved to die but he says the blood will I require at the watchman's hand And then in verse number 7, I think it's interesting, he gives this illustration, God gives this illustration to Ezekiel, and then in verse 7 he says, so thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Talk about pressure. He just told him, the watchman's got to do this, the watchman's got to do that, I'm going to require the watchman, and then he says, and by the way, you're the watchman. And that's really what soul winning is about. God has made us uh, uh, a Someone who's supposed to go out and warn people and blow the trumpet and say, "Hey, judgment is coming. Hey, you must get saved and you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because one day hellfire and damnation is coming." And here's the thing: if we warn the people and they just ignore our warning, then it's not our fault. Their blood is forgot their hand. But here's the, here's the problem with soul winning: is if we don't warn the people and they die and go to hell, it's still their fault. They still deserve to die and go to hell. No one will die and go to hell that didn't deserve it. (laughs) The wages of sin is death. Everyone who dies and goes to hell will deserve it. But God said the people who were not warned, He's going to hold their blood at the watchman's hand. That refused to warn that refuse to, to, to tell people. that refuse. You know, that ought to be a, a, huge, uh, a huge motivator for us to understand that everyone will spend eternity in heaven and hell, but some people, unfortunately, will never even get the chance because they've got a watchman who refuses to go out and warn the people, who refuses to go out and knock on the doors, who refuses to go out and sound the trumpet. And look, let me tell you something. We can't, one person can't do it. You know, I know people that you will never meet. And you know people that I will never come in contact with. We all must play the part of a watchman. And we all must warn people. Notice he says, we've got to warn them. We may not win them all. We may not win all of Sacramento through Jesus Christ. But we can at least make sure we warn every single person in Sacramento. We can at least make sure that every people in Sacramento hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've at least been warned and had the opportunity to get saved. And in verse number 8 of Genesis 24, what God the Father, Abraham, is telling the soul winner, the servant, He says, If the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. What does He say? He says, I won't require that your head. He said, you warn her. You try to get her to come. If she doesn't want to come, it's not your fault. But He said, at least try. With all your strength, can you go? Is what He's saying to him. Look at verse 9. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham and his master and swore to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that the women go to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my servant Abraham, I pray thee. Send me good speed. Notice he says, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. You know, I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was really good. And it, it's kind of changed my life, my prayer life a little bit. But I heard somebody say this, you know, prayer is the great time saver. You know, so often we look at prayer as a waste of time. So often we look at prayer, you know, you think I got you wake up in the morning, you got so many things to do and and, and and especially in the ministry, you know. You uh, you've got to read your Bible, you got to work on sermons, you got to call people, you got to visit people, you got to go so many, you know, you got your secular job secular things you're doing. You got so much time. And it seems like, you know, at least when I'm reading my Bible, I'm accomplishing something, I'm reading something, I'm learning something. But sometimes it seems like prayer, you know, such a waste of time. But in reality, prayer is a great time saver. And we find here a perfect illustration of it. This guy, the father says, when he gets into that, the first thing he does is he says, I pray thee, send me good speed. He's praying to God and he's saying, God, will you help me not waste my time? Will you help me come across the lady I'm supposed to be finding? waste my time, and that's so true. You know, I can tell you in my own life, there's been times when I've been so busy, just in the ministry. You know, usually when I study for a sermon, like, well, I'm preaching through Genesis or John or whatever, I I have to read the text that I'm preaching out of. I've got to read it multiple times. I mean, just reading it. I mean, forget studying, forget writing down. I just got to read it multiple times just to understand it, just to get it in my head. And then after that, I'm reading it, and I'm taking notes, and I'm cross-referencing, and I'm looking up different things or whatever, you know? And that can be a lot of time. And there's been times in my life, I can attest to this, where I've just been busy. I mean, I've been working, I've been doing other things, and I just, I feel like I don't have the time to study. And I just pray to God, and I say, and I've literally, this happened to me. I pray to God, and I say, God, you know where my heart is, you know I want to preach a good sermon, but I don't have the time. Can you please help me open up this passage? to me. And I've literally been amazed as I, I go to the scripture and I read a passage and it just opens up. And it's just, it just opens up to me. And I see, you know, and I understand it and, and, and things are popping in my head and I'm able to write a sermon. You know, and that doesn't happen every week, but, you know, when it, when I need it, God does it, you know. And and, and prayer, and I, somebody said this, you know, I'm gonna, I can't, I should have wrote down the quote, I can't think of what it is now, but uh, somebody said, you know, there, there's, there's, much that can be done after praying but there's not much that can be done before praying you know and, and, and you think about you know sometimes we go off into life just, and the thing is that before you pray about something you're just spinning your wheels But if you just take time to pray, there's so much you could accomplish, you know. Um, So you should never do anything without prayer. And this is what this man did. He said, O Lord God of my servant Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my servant Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of the water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass, that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for my servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my servant. You know, just a, a quick note there. Notice, what was the one thing he used as a way of knowing who was the right Spouse for his for his master's son. He said he said I'm gonna he said God here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna ask her to give me water if she goes the extra mile and gives uh, water to my camels and I know she's the one you know what he was looking for a hard worker you know and, and and if you're dating if you're looking for a spouse or you're looking for a spouse maybe for your kids or whatever you know this this is one thing you got to be looking for someone who works hard because let me tell you something I I sometimes put in sixteen hour days. You know, doing fire alarms and whatever. And I can promise you, in the worst day I've ever had, I work a fraction of what my wife works with those kids, you know, 24 hours. You know, homeschooling them, feeding them. I mean, when you've got kids who literally eat 17 meals in one day, I'm not even joking. You know, I don't understand where it all goes. You know, just cleaning up, just doing things. She's doing stuff for the ministry. She's proofreading the bulletin. She's, you know, uh, heading up ladies' activities. And she, you know, constantly visiting. You know, when you're looking for a wife, you might want to find someone who's not lazy. You know, that's what he was saying. He said, he said I'm going to ask you for water. If she goes the extra step and says, I'll, feed, I'll give water to your camels also. He said, that's the one. That's the one I want. You know, so that's some good advice there. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Micah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her picture upon her shoulder. So we saw there, Abraham represents God the Father. The servant represents the soul winner. The angel that went out before him represents the Holy Spirit. Rebekah represents the lost, or the unsaved sinner, the unbeliever. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. Verse 16, A virgin neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well, and filled her pitcher, and came up. So you see here, the servant, the soul winner, is coming into contact with the lost person. And the servant ran to meet her, and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hastened, and let down her pitcher upon her hand, and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough, and ran again unto the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And verse 21, And the man wondering at her held his peace, to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So he's thinking, Man, is this the one? Is this the one I was praying about? Verse 22, When it came to pass... As the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring and a half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold, and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which uh, she bare unto Nehor. And she said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Notice, in the Bible, what is worshiping? Someone bowing down their head. And How do you, you know, do a study in the Bible of the word worship. You're going to find people on their knees, praying, thanking God, you know. In our modern day society, people think that worship, you know, they talk about this worship service. You know, people ask me, why don't you have a worship service, you know. And they're talking about bringing a rock band up, you know, to our church. And having some sort of a rock band, you know, just playing God's music on the devil's, you know, it's like God's words with the devil's music. And they're, when they're talking about worship, they're talking about singing songs and gyrating and waving. Like we're in some sort of a rock concert. That's not what worship is according to the Bible. You It's not know, about, oh, I love the worship service. You know what worship is? It's on your knees, prostrate on the ground, praying to God. That's what He's doing. He said, and the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. You know, I, I challenge you. Do a study of the word worship in the Bible. You will not find a rock concert in the Bible. You will find people on their knees worshiping God, praying. Verse 27, and he said, "'Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham.'" who has not left destitute to my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her, uh, of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. We'll get to know Laban more as we go through Genesis. And Laban ran out unto the man, unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hand. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house and he ungirded his camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand." And he said, Speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and manservants and maidservants and camels and asses and Sarah my master's wife bare a son to my master when she was old and unto him hath he given all that he had and my master made me swear saying thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell but thou shalt go unto my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son and he said unto my master peradventure the woman will not Parental the woman will not follow me and he said to me the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way and thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house then shalt thou be clear from this my oath when thou comest to my kindred and if they give not thee one thou shalt be clear from my oath and I came this day unto the well and said O Lord God of my master Abraham if now thou do prosper my way which I go before I stand by the well of the water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she say to me, Both drink, and I will also drink, draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed unto out for my master's son." And before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down into the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of a her son, whom Milka bare unto him. And I put the earrings un- upon her face and the bracelets upon her hand. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her, and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife. And the Lord, as the Lord hath prospered, as spoken. And it came to pass that Abraham's servant heard their words and worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Notice that again, he's bowing himself to the earth. That's how he's worshipping. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, "'Send me away unto my master.' So notice, it's the next day. And they're saying, let's go. Look at verse 55. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. Now go with me just real quickly to Matthew chapter number 34. Matthew chapter number 34. Let me show you something here. So so, So he pretty much explains the entire story to them again. Um, they said, "Okay, you know, uh, we we we're not gonna stop you. Obviously, this is of the Lord. This is what God wanted. Um, so go ahead. You can take her." And he wakes up the next morning. He says, "All right, let's go. I'm gonna take her to my master." And they said, "Well, hold on a second. Can can you give us a few days? Can you wait a while?" And and they said, "Can you wait at least ten days? You know, and and notice what he said in in verse number." 56, and he said unto them, Hinder me not. Now, in Matthew chapter number 10, and verse 34, look at what it says. Because notice, Rebecca's the sinner, right? Rebecca's the unbeliever. Rebecca's the one that the soul winner is going to bring back to the son. And they said, okay, go. But notice who gets in the way, the family. And the family says, well, can you just wait a few days? And he's to respond to them, hinder me not. Look at Matthew chapter number 10, and verse 34. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the illustration there of Rebecca is this, that sometimes salvation is going to cost you to have to separate ways with family. He said, you know, he, he said, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He said, and, and you might find yourself at variance with your family members. You might find yourself having to separate from family. And you might find yourself having to separate from friends and from this world. And look, hopefully, you know, you don't have to separate from family. Hopefully, your family to leave her family and go with the soul owner to Jesus Christ represented by Isaac. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I came to bring the sword. And as long as you can be with your family and serving Jesus, praise the Lord. But if you ever have to choose between Jesus Christ and your family or Jesus Christ and your friends or Jesus Christ and your co-workers, then look, you're better off just choosing Jesus Christ. He says anybody who loves me less than they love their family is not even worthy of me. And here we find Rebecca choice. And in verse 57 it says and they said we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said I will go. And by the way, let me say, let me say this. Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 2. Look at verse 24. In regards to marriage, because we're looking at people who get married here, she made a good choice, because in Genesis chapter number 2 and verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, when you get married, you leave father and mother, and you cleave unto your wife. And you know, so often marriages get mixed up, because the husband, you know, well, you don't cook like my mom used, or you don't do it like my mom Or you don't well look, guess what? You didn't marry your mom. So you gotta leave mom. You gotta leave that. Or so many times, you know, wives will just, well, my dad used to do this. My dad used to do this. Well, you didn't choose your dad. You chose so-and-so. So so leave and cleave, is what the Bible says. And Rebecca had to leave, and she had to cleave. She said, I will go. You know, and, 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 uh, and if you're the mom and dad of a, of a person who's getting married, and, they, and they're constantly just wanting to, uh, I got in a fight with my spouse, and can I come spend the night? You know what? Cut the umbilical cord. Say, you made your choice. You know, you made your bed. Go lying. And that's the truth. And that's going to help people mature. You know, one of the best things that ever happened in my marriage is that a month after we got married, my wife and I packed up and went across the country. And we weren't gone for very really long, but you know what, I have to, what we have to figure out as 18-year-olds, you know, in Tennessee... For the first time, I have to t- turn on the electricity in an apartment. For the first time, I have to figure out how to go grocery shop. You know, we have to go grocery shop because I left. My, you know, we did it biblical. I, we, you know, she was living with her parents, so she got married. I was living with my parents, so we got married. And when we left, for the first time, we had to figure out life. And you know what? It might have been rough for a few weeks, but we figured it out, and we're fine. But you know, these parents who just don't let their kids grow up—they're you're, you're doing worse for your kids. You know, so Rebecca had to leave and she had to cleave. Look at verse 69. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant unto his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said unto her, Thou art our sister. This is interesting. I, I love verse 60. Because understand what's going on. They're sending Rebecca away to get married. I mean, this is like her bridal shower. And the Bible says. <clears throat> And verse 60, and they blessed Rebekah. So they're blessing her. This is a positive thing. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister. And look what they said. Be thou the mother of two and a half kids. Is that what they said? Be thou the mother of one child and be very successful at your job. Is that what they said? They said, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. You know what thousands of millions, that's a million a thousand times. You know what that is? Billions. Uh, Well, a million a thousand times is a billion. But notice they said thousands, you know, there's an S at the end. That's plural. Of millions. So, I mean, we're talking about billions. I mean, can you imagine, you know, oh so-and-so is having a bridal party, and you get her, you a know, little car, or a little car, congratulations, and you write on there, be thou mother of thousands of millions. You know, they'd be like, what? You know, because in our society, people don't want kids. But that, how many kids does you think God wants one want in Rebecca? You know, they're blessing her and they're saying, we want you to have billions. You know, in Genesis it says, happy is a man. That, you know, it, it's talking about, uh, it uses the illustration that I don't have it memorized and I didn't, I didn't write it down my notes. But it has the illustration there uh, of, of children being like an arrow. And he said, happy is a man who hath a quiver full of them. The Bible says that children are an inheritance of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. The Bible says, you know, our society today is programmed as a thing that children are a curse. If I've got too many kids and I can't go, you know, about your backpacks across Europe. Or I can do this, I can do that. But God says children are a blessing. Children are a gift. He says, I want you to, how many do you want? A quiverful. How many do you want? A two, three, ten, eight, a thousand. Why don't you just give me a billion? That's what he said. And by the way, this, these were the Jews. He wanted the Jews, one nation, to have a billion people in it. How many people in the world today? Seven billion? He wanted one country to number a billion. And people will try to lie and say, Oh, the world's overpopulated. Hogwash. The world is not overpopulated. Take a drive down I-5... Down to Southern California. And you're going to find so much space. I mean, the world's overpopulated maybe in Sacramento because everyone wants to live in Sacramento. Everyone wants to live in Los Angeles. If you just go find some land, you know, the world's not overpopulated. That's a lie. That's a different sermon uh, for another time. But, uh, you know, they're, they're saying, have children. And we preached a couple weeks ago about the sin of birth control. And we talked about that and we went through that in detail. But they're saying to her, hey, have kids. How many? Billions. Thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gates of those who hate them. You know, and I don't know how many kids we're going to end up having. God's given us two kids at this point. We might end up with eight. We might end up with twelve. We might end up with two. I don't know. But you know what? The more he gave me, the more he gives me the better. And I just hope, you know, if God gave me a thousand descendants, then, hey, bless God, we'll just take over California with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we'll possess the gates of those who hate us. How about that? You know, you know how is the Mormon church growing? Well, let me tell you something, they're not converting anybody, they're just having kids. You know, and if Baptists would get off their birth control pills and quit aborting their children, and start having children, maybe we would do something in this country. And that's the truth. And in verse 61 he says, And Rebekah arose, and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah, and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well of Lahai-ron." for he dwelt in the south country and Isaac went out to meditate in the field Isaac by the way is a, represents the Lord Jesus Christ in the story in the field at eventide and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold the camels were coming and Rebekah lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac she lighted off her camel for she said unto the servant what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us and the servant and the servant had said it is my master Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And we find there the illustration of soul winning, where the servant goes into the world, finds an unbeliever, and brings them back to Jesus Christ. Commissioned by God the Father, went the Holy Ghost went before them, they found an unbeliever, and they brought them back, they presented a bride to the to the son that and it's a picture, it's a beautiful picture, I believe, of soul winning. It's a beautiful picture, I believe, of the Great Commission. It's a beautiful picture, I believe, of what we're trying to accomplish here at Verity Baptist Church, knocking on every door in Sacramento. But notice what, notice what it says. Look, look at the last part of verse 65. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. Isn't that backwards from today? Think about it. She's going to meet her future husband. So what does she do? She covers herself. What do, people, what, do ladies, what do most women do today when they're trying to meet a husband? They uncover themselves. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Let me show you something. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. She says, who is that guy? He says, that, that's the guy you're going to marry. And, and she quickly covers herself. You know, she wants to be modest. She doesn't want to look like a tramp. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse 1. I know that this goes against everything that people believe today. I don't care if, a church, if this church doesn't grow because of this type of preaching. Then so be it. But First Corinthians chapter number seven, verse one, the Bible says, "Now concerning the things whereof I wrote unto unto ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman." I mean, how much clear does that have to get? Does God want a man to touch a woman he's not married to? No, he does not. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. You say, do you believe that people, you know, people tell me this, I think that people should get, should, they should live together before they get married, so they can try to figure out if they're compatible. Well, look, God says that you ought to leave mother and father. That means you're living with mother and father, and you're leaving mother and father, and cleaving unto your spouse. But people today think, oh, I'm going to go live in with so-and-so. And you know, you may not like this, but these these girls are being taught to just be some unpaid whore. They're taught to just go live with some guy, you know, and just sleep around with him and let him do whatever he wants. No commitment, no responsibility, no, you know, love there. Just just throwing their bodies out to these guys. Look, God said it is not good for a man to touch a woman. You ought to get married. If you can't can't keep your hands off her, then marry her. You know? And these women ought to have more respect. I love the fact that Rebecca she saw her future husband, and she didn't put up the skirt. She didn't put on the little miniskirt. the little, you know, she, uh, she covered herself. And she said, I want to be, I want to I let him know that I have respect for myself. I like that about her. But notice this. I, I want to show you this. We're almost done, I promise. Look at verse, uh, the, the beginning of verse 24, of chapter 24. Um, look at verse number 2. The Bible says, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had. Abraham goes to the eldest, the oldest servant, the servant he's had the longest. And this guy is ruling the entire house. Now, you know, keep that in mind, and go with me back to Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 23. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 2. Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number 2. Let me show you something interesting about this servant. Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 2 Genesis 15 is before Abraham had Isaac and in Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 2 the Bible says And Abraham said Lord, wilt thou give me seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus And Abraham said Behold, to me thou hast given no seed and lo, one born in my house is mine heir now, you know, it's probably correct to assume that this Eliezer of Damascus, who was the heir, Abraham's heir, before, you know, he had an heir, is the same servant. Because it says in verse 2, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled all that he had. So it's, it's you know, I would assume that these are the same person. And it's interesting, Abraham... The Bible tells us he became a very rich man. And up to the point where he was 84 years old, he had no heir. And this, this, this servant he had born in his house, who was the main, his like second hand, he was going to become the heir. He was going to inherit all of it. And then Ishmael's born. And I'm sure he thinks to himself, man, missed out on that one. And then Ishmael's thrown out. And then he probably thinks, oh, maybe I'm back in the running. And then Isaac's born. You know, and he's probably thinking, you know, most of us would be better, wouldn't we? Man, I was going to get all those riches. I was going to get all that. But you notice, Abraham says, I want you to go find an heir for the guy who replaced you. For my son. And did he have a bad attitude about it? No, he did not. Look at something very interesting. Look at verse number 12. in, In Genesis 24, 12. And he said, O Lord God, of, look what he said, my master, Abraham. Look at the last part of verse 12, he said, uh, And Abraham, I pray thee, and send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto... Look what he said, look what the servant said, my master. Drop down to the last two words in, in, in verse number 14, look what he said. He said, my master. Look at, uh, drop down to uh, Verse 27. Look at what the servant said. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who hath not left destitute my, look what he said, my master of his mercies, of his truth, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of, look what he said, my master's brethren. Look at verse number 35. He said, And the Lord hath blessed my master. Look at verse 36. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master, look at verse 37 and my master, look at verse 39 and I said unto my master, look at verse 42 and I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of look what he said, my master look at verse 44, the last few words of verse 44 my master's son, look at verse 48 he said, and I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto him. Look at verse 49. And now if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master. Look at verse 54. The last two words in verse 54. He says, my master. Look at the last two words in verse 56. He said, my master. Uh, look at the, the, the last word words in 65, the last part of verse 65, he said, for she said unto the servant, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, it is my master. You notice, this servant seems to just have, he had one track mind. He said, I'm going to serve my master. He said, I was the heir, I'm not the heir, maybe I could be bitter, I could be upset, I could be... Isn't that interesting? You know, the Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. The Bible says that we have a master, the Lord, the God in heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 65, all throughout the chapter, he's referring to Abraham as his master. But in verse 65, she says, who is that? And he says, hey, that's Isaac, my master. Well, I thought Abraham was your master. Well, they're both his master. You know, oh, people say, well, who, who, who's your master, God? Well, what about, what about Jesus? He's my master. Well, how can God and Jesus both be your master? Well, they're the same person. Here he says, they're both my master. He said, Isaac's he, he, he my master, Abraham's my master, you know. Why? Because they represent the same person. But this guy was just, had a one-track mind on this one thing. I want to please my master. I want to do the will of my master. I mean, over and over this chapter, he just kept saying these two words, my master, my master, my master, my master, my master, my master. And would to God we'd have Christians today who say, you know what? I want to do the will of my master. You know, like we were preaching this morning, I don't want to be lukewarm. I, I want to be hot. I, I, I want to choose a side. And I want to serve my Master. You know, but I, I believe Genesis 24 is such a beautiful illustration of salvation. You've got God the Father commissioning out servants and soul winners. Sending the Holy Spirit before us to go find a sinner and bring them to His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of what we should be doing every day with our lives? Let's bow our heads and have a not want the Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. And I pray that you would